0: Thank you, DJ, for leading us in worship. I invite you to turn in your Bibles. You've got the blue pew Bibles there. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 12, as we read from God's Word together. John chapter 12, I'm going to be beginning in verse 20, reading through verse 26, This great privilege of having the Word of God in your hands, we want to esteem it. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20, and this is the Word of God. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir... We wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will Honor him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for the clarity it brings to our lives that Jesus Christ is to be known and believed and worshipped and followed all to your glory, Heavenly Father, all done in the power of your spirit. We thank you for the advance of the gospel even in and through this church and because of our hope in Jesus Christ and the comfort we have enjoyed, we are able to comfort others. We pray for the McKinnon family as they suffer the loss of their small child. Lord, we just pray that you would grant them mercy this morning. Lord, we thank you that the gospel advances through churches like our own. We thank you for Grace Cochran Church and the ministry of Pastor Jeff Jones there, we pray that even as they worship like we are this morning, that your spirit would come upon them, the spirit of comfort, to comfort the saints in Cochran, that they would be encouraged to know Christ and to make him known. And even as Grace Cochran Church has connections with the Southern Baptist Convention here in Canada and as we think about their work in the United States, I want to pray for pastors Tom Askell and Votie Bachum as they seek to bring reforming efforts into the leadership of that great, vast denomination. We pray for its renewal. We pray for purity. We pray for doctrinal fidelity. We pray that they would be able to be a, a group of churches that are advancing the gospel with a clear testimony. Lord, we thank you for your work here in this church. We thank you for this opportunity to see baptisms as these baptismal candidates testify a little bit later on to their faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for John and for Catherine and for Ryan and for Max. We do pray that even people here who are not Christians or who are those who are maybe unsure about their spiritual state, that through the Word of God and the testimonies given and the practice of believers' baptism, that they would be stirred, that they would be challenged even to turn from their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for what could be more important than that. Lord, I pray that as we hear Your Word, You would make our hearts open, open to Your soul surgery. Wound us and heal us Come and meet us by your power and glorify your own name even in our midst. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. do you have any dreams anymore? I don't mean those kind of dramatic experiences you might have while you're sleeping that you remember after you woke up. I'm not talking about those dreams where, you know, I have to ask my wife every morning, was I talking in my sleep? Was I snoring? What did I do last night that I'm unaware of? No, I'm asking, do you still have dreams? As in, you have the hope for some type of big change, a change in your life that you've been longing for. The dreams I'm talking about are there's hopes for, for change, for growth, and for a word that I'm going to use repeatedly in this message, this, this dream of expansion. Expansion. The people who are getting baptized they've come to realize that the future with Jesus is more blessed than the cursed life without him they're forsaking the nightmare destiny of the damned and in turn they're embracing the free offer of the of salvation in the gospel And as a result, when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then they get then the benefit of this, as it were, an eternal dream. This expansive and everlasting blessing, but one that is real and true. And it's so awake that it even promises resurrection from the dead. Many today are afraid that their dreams are dead. And that they can't expand. A family I know of just, I mean, just this week, and I can think of others, other families, but just this week, a family I know of has moved out of the country. They're leaving Canada because their dream of owning a home to basically expand the space they need for their growing family, they just, they can't cut it. And so for that, their dreams seem to be over. And so they're going somewhere else. And many people, and you might be one of them sitting here, they're afraid that they can't expand anymore. There's others. I think there's others with a bit of a stoic bent. They think that to expand or not, it's irrelevant. We're just waiting around to die. In Christian circles... There's been a, a bit of a repeated problem that was, that's been known as quietism. And quietism, it thinks that to be expansive, to expand, well, that's immoral. You don't want to be getting more money or having a, a, a bit larger house. That, that, those things are bad. Or the modern secular view that's all around us, is that not only is it wrong to expand, you, 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 you should contract yourself. You should get smaller. Contract yourself out of existence even. Contract that baby out of existence by abortion. Contract that elderly person out of existence by euthanasia. Reduce your footprint, right? Cut back. And all of these are applications of the secular view, an atheistic view. That view is that expansion is immoral. But not only that, you're probably, you and me, we're probably just a waste of space, a waste of skin. You should contract yourself and then subtract yourself. And so in this secular atheistic view... Which is the worldview of our entire cultural moment right now, the belief is that if God doesn't exist, then likely your existence is very precarious. You might be that waste of space, that waste of oxygen. But God does exist. Amen? If you don't believe that, you come to the wrong place. Well, maybe came to the right place because that's what you're going to hear about right here. Because God defies the secular creed. God blesses expansion. God said to our first parents in Genesis 1.28, He said, God bless them. He, He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There couldn't be a more countercultural message today in our, in our context. But this is expansive language. It is morally good to expand with God's blessing. And this is called, theologians have called it, the dominion mandate, or more commonly, from Abraham Kuyper and Francis Schaeffer, they would describe it as the cultural Mandate. It is a command to expand. But you're sitting there and you think, well, Pastor Clint, what about the fall of mankind? What about sin? What about the curse? Well, it's also true, Romans 5 12, that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So there's an expansion of sin along with the cultural mandate. Now, does this mean that we should abandon the cultural mandate, abandon this dominion mandate? Should we stop having babies? Should we stop building houses? Pretty tough. I was thinking it's pretty tough in this church to say stop having babies. Should you stop building a business? Should we stop planting churches in Canada? Should we just stop? Should we just contract ourselves? No, what we need right now, we need wisdom from God in order to understand how we should see this duty to dream. To dream, to obey the command to expand. And so let's listen to Jesus himself in this passage. And what we'll find first is that Jesus offers a surprising response to the seeking of these Greeks as they sought him out. You know the context in John chapter 12 if you still got your finger there or you're seeing it on your screen. It was the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem All this is prior to Jesus being arrested and crucified. And it was, this episode, this is the trigger point in Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, was Jesus from this point going to continue on as a miracle worker, as a sort of a rabbinic teacher, and just keep doing that into his old age? Now, I know you know the rest of the story, but just think if this is all you knew. Was Jesus just going to continue on with that, just keep doing these miracles, keep teaching his teaching, or was he going to do something else? We see in verse 20, we read about the trigger when John refers to some Greeks. Now these were likely Gentiles, so non-Jews, who had heard about Judaism because Judaism had spread through the Jewish diaspora throughout the Mediterranean, so there were Jews and synagogues in almost every major city in in the Mediterranean. These were Greeks who had come to Jerusalem to worship the true God, to worship Jehovah, worship Yahweh, in contrast to their pagan pantheon. Yet while they're at the feast... They wanted to see Jesus. That's what they say there, don't they? Sir, saying to Philip, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's what they wanted. Well, why would they they want to see Jesus? Well, obviously, they were open to the possibility that Jesus was this Messiah that they had heard so much about. That Jesus was the one. And so they came... To Philip, because Philip was one of Jesus' disciples. Now, just ask this of you this morning. Are you the kind of person who would be the first port of call if someone wanted to see Jesus? Would they come to you first? Would they seek you out and say, tell me more about Jesus. I want to know about Jesus. I don't know about Jesus, but I want to. Would they come to you? Would you be the one, like Philip, to say, yeah, yeah, come on, come on, I'm going to show you Jesus. And, and that's a great challenge for all of us, is to be like Philip in this regard. And he must have known this, this sort of outside group, these Greeks. Are, are you known in that way by people on the outside? Are you known as a Jesus follower? Are you known being approachable like Philip was so that people could come and ask you and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about this Jesus. Maybe you could point me to him. But this is the scene that triggers Jesus. Now let's stop and think. In terms of Jesus as a rabbinic teacher, you know, he's kind of a guru, kind of seeming like that. This could have triggered, you can imagine, if he's got these Greeks coming, it could have triggered a whole new market for Jesus. You think in marketing terms. He, he, could, have, he could have started teaching these Greeks, and then his popularity could have grown. He's not popular just with Jews, then he's popular with Greeks. Maybe, maybe he, he's going to expand his influence beyond Judah. It would be a very natural expansion to his mission. Then Jesus, you can imagine Jesus then, he travels from Judah and he travels to Greece. Jesus maybe travels to Rome. He could have carried on like that for a long time. And then traveling and teaching until long and full of years, Jesus dies. And then his followers would visit his burial shrine and they'd make pilgrimages to the site and say, oh, what a wonderful teacher he was. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't do that. He could have, at this point, he could have just gone and it's all about, he's going to do the teaching and he's going to do the traveling. But in, instead, after Philip told Andrew, and they both went to Jesus, Jesus said this, verse 23, he said, Jesus answered them, the hour is, has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Why were these Greeks seeking Jesus? Why, and, and why was that, of all events, why was that such a trigger? Well, Jesus is going to say the Son of Man must be glorified. Could it be that Jesus was going to embark, as I said, on this Greek phase of his ministry? Is that how he's going to be glorified? But as with everything, the Son of Man was laser-focused not just on being another guru, not just going around teaching like Muhammad or Buddha. He was laser-focused on atoning for the sins of his people. And if you're a visitor here and this is all strange to you, that is what this is all about. Jesus coming to atone for the sins of Of His people so that their sins can be forgiven once and for all. You're not going to find that in anything else in the world. That's what he came to do. He wasn't just this public teacher. He didn't come just to teach. He came to die. He came to die, and not just by dying of old age, but dying under the curse of God, the wrath of God completely satisfied upon him or as paul said in galatians 3:13 christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree galatians 3:13 so this is the trigger this is the trigger this is the key to the kind of expansion which jesus employed And so we read then in verse 24, you see it there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And as I think of the grain of wheat falling into the earth, into the dirt, I'm just reminded I was branding cattle yesterday with my family, and I feel like I've got you know, a lot of dirt in my throat still, so I feel I'm quite gravelly. Uh, but anyways, that's, that's one of the things that happens when you're uh, kind of doing these other fun things. That's part of some of the dreams and expansion that I enjoy, is some of that cowboy stuff. But I'm here, and hopefully you can still understand me as my gravelly voice uh, tries to hold on. But you see that Jesus, in this, in this metaphor, he is... The grain of wheat. He's the one with all this potency and possibility. Maybe some of you have planted a garden this spring. You put in that little seed. And you think, how is this going to be that carrot come the end of the summer? You know, it's just that little tiny little seed. But it's got all this potency and possibility. But Jesus is saying, unless it is put into the earth, It remains alone. It's just one more seed in the package that you bought at the store. Jesus was forecasting his death. Have you ever thought about this, just kind of the aloneness of Jesus in his messianic ministry? The aloneness of him? You know, he, he was the center. He had to do the teaching. The ministry went wherever Jesus went. But Jesus is saying that there is an even better expansion. Something even above and beyond. And it means that the grain of wheat must fall to the earth and be buried and on the third day rise again. That's what he's getting at is that kind of expansion. And so this is crucial. Crucial, literally and figuratively. Crucial as in cross word jesus is going to the cross and it is the surprising response to a dream opportunity any of us if we would have been there we'd be thinking hey these greeks are coming around look at all this opportunity for me i'm going to start traveling up to greece i'm going to be traveling throughout the mediterranean i'm going to spread my message and he's like no 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 Even though Jesus was on the verge of getting his big break, he didn't pursue his sure pathway to wealth and fame. So this isn't quietism, though. It isn't contraction or subtraction. It's a different kind of expansion. And that leads me then, secondly, I want us to see in this passage the contrast between these two types of expansion. On the one hand, Jesus fulfilled the mission of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. I want you to just turn back there. Isaiah chapter 53. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this will be a good chapter for you to become familiar with. Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus, in the New Testament, fulfilled the prophecy of, about this figure called the Suffering Servant, and it's found in Isaiah chapter 53. And the Suffering Servant gave up his natural, normal, proper, earthly expansion. He gave it all up. So, the Suffering Servant, in in him taking this on, we see, as it were, the death of Jesus' opportunities for expansion. So think of how verse 2 of Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. That's the death of Jesus' Instagrammable life, right? That's what you're pursuing, this nicely curated, beautiful life. There. One guy laughed at the dad joke. Yeah, that's right. The Insta, as if I know anything about Instagram. Um, verse 3, it's repeated. He was despised. That's not, that's not a way to expand your footprint, to expand your empire. He was despised. Imagine even the thought, this good thing, his hope of expanding his earthly family we you know finding a wife having kids that was cut off as he as he says later he says as for he says as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people that's in verse 8 so you think about Jesus in terms of this, what would be still a proper earthly natural expansion? As he his career, his marriage prospects, his wealth, his health, his legacy, they're all doomed. Modern people today they don't talk about death. They're, they're horrified, deeply anxious, traumatized if they get cancelled in their career if they get shut out of the dating game, if they stay poor, if they stay unhealthy, if they live forgotten lives. I I'm, I'm reminded what of one of my heroes, Robert Murray McShane, wrote about when he was, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's a young man. He's, he's not even 30 before he died. And he said, Lord, make me willing to be forgotten. Can you pray that? Can I pray that? Well, Jesus was cut off in his office as the suffering servant to be forgotten, as it were, to be shut out. And such things seem horrifying to us. To lose such things today seems to be a fate worse than death. But see, Jesus is making a distinction because even from Isaiah 53.10, Jesus fulfilled it. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. A different kind of expansion is prophesied. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That means that Jesus won't have natural offspring, but he'll have spiritual offspring. And this is, is what Jesus is getting at back in John 12. Because he says, Jesus makes the distinction. He sees, sure, natural expansions are a dominion command, but Jesus didn't get any of those. Instead, he leads us to something bigger, something better, something never failing. And it is a supernatural expansion. For he says in John 12, 24, if it dies it bears much fruit, much fruit. Now, people might agree with Jesus about, about this, this, this idea that they, they can agree with Jesus that when they see plant biology, they can say, yeah, okay, the seed dies and it bears fruit. I agree with that. People will agree with that. But I think a lot of people, most people, all sinners, have a hard time believing that spiritually, that spiritual principle. Because we don't want to die. We don't want the thought that you have to die to have expansion. We don't don't want the idea that you have to die to have these greater dreams fulfilled. We're made to live and grow and expand. We we want, like Dylan Thomas said, we want to rage, rage against the dying of the light. Or or as Alfred Lord Tennyson, the other poet, he said, we believe that some work of noble note may yet be done. We, We don't want this idea that we have to die to bear much fruit. But Jesus is showing that the natural expansions only go so far. Or as he said famously in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but lose his own soul? There's something even more important, the expansiveness of the soul in love for God. That's more important than your RSP, your investment account, the expansion of your great family or your empire. Health and wealth, they can increase or they, they can expand, or they can do all these things. But Jesus has introduced a radical expansion that surpasses any of that, so that then health can expand or contract. Wealth can expand or contract. But there is a greater expansion that is more important. And Jesus modeled this with his obedient life and his humiliation, even to the cross and death. But then what about us? Because Jesus isn't just talking about himself. He is. He's predicting the death that he would die as an atonement for sinners. But he also adds then how that is the model for those who come after. And this is the third point, seeing the fruitfulness of dying with Christ. Look at verse 25. Jesus said, Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Imagine that. That Jesus is calling us to die to our life. And if you if you are at all resistant to Jesus right now. That's going to rub you even harder. You're, you're, not, you're, going to, you're going to be disrupted by that even more. The idea that you would die to your life. What kind of religion is this? You know, die to the natural expansion of my life. In relative terms, we're to hate that natural expansion in contrast to something else, namely this supernatural expansion. And that's the idea of eternal life. It's not just long, long life, maybe long like you're feeling this sermon is. Everybody's, I, I find it really warm in here. I'm, I'm getting sleepy too. Uh, if you can stay with me, that'd be appreciated. It's, eternal life isn't just length of, of life, but it is a quality of life, a, a manner of life. It is a kingdom-motivated life, a kingdom-oriented life, oriented towards the king, distinguished by that. It, it lasts as long as the kingdom does, as long as the king does, as long as the king is living, the kingdom lasts forever. Eternal life. Thank you for the amen. So this is the pattern. Then this single kernel death leading to hundredfold life. It's the pattern that Jesus established, but that we are to follow. So verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the fa- Father will honor him. So, so following Jesus then is then to follow him in these specific ways. We, we follow Jesus in the natural expansions of life. And if you've been around me, like, and, and in this church, all the elders teach it, we encourage, it's a good thing, To get married. It's a good thing to have a family. It's a good thing to work hard and have a good job and make money. It's a good thing to buy a house. It's a good thing to be generous. All these expansions are good. Maybe we have opportunities for the natural expansions of life, which Jesus didn't. Maybe we get to do things that he didn't do. We we can have a career, we can get married, we can buy, we can build, we can grow, we can pass on a legacy to our children. That's all part of that cultural mandate handed down from Adam. We may get to carry out those cultural mandates in ways that Jesus didn't, but if we claim to serve God, jesus we must follow him there is no expansion if you aren't following jesus that means that probably you are going to have a succession of losses losses in all of your expansions that's what's going to happen but our losses culminating in our death will have been completely overshadowed by what we have gained by following Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You, you just don't even know. It's so, this, the dream, as it were, if I can use that language, is so spectacular It's hard for you to even fathom it. We gain the supernatural expansion of a heaven-destined believer. That's what we get. Of being an ambassador for Christ. Of being His disciple. Of being the adopted child of His Father. Of being an inheritor of His Spirit. We get all of these. We already have the spirit as a down payment. Now, especially if you're a visitor here or somebody new or just come here this morning, maybe right now you're counting costs in your head. You're doing a quick calculation of the cost-benefit analysis of of this dying to this life in order to gain this other kind of life. You're doing that cost-benefit. You're calculating what it might mean to lose Your natural expansions when the baby dies, or the career dies, or the marriage dies, or all of life dies. And you're thinking of that calculation over against the possibility of these supernatural expansions that you get. And the tendency could be to think in secular terms. Oh, well, maybe I just need to subtract myself. It's all bad. I'll just subtract myself. I'll reduce myself. You're tempted to misuse John the Baptist's claim and say, I must decrease. Well, No, it's not, that's not all of the verse. That's what, not what John the Baptist said. He says, He must increase. I must decrease. In other words, That's the focus is on on Jesus Christ. So the thought of giving these things up, loss, loss of children, loss of family, loss of career, loss of wealth, loss of prestige, influence, loss of status, loss of security, all of these losses, the thought of losing all of that, if that fills you with despair, and then maybe... Maybe you've you've become skilled in the guilt game where you're filled with despair, but you tell yourself, well, I deserve this, so it's right that I feel miserable. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, that is not, that is not what God calls us to. Because the promise is so great, it is so profound It is so extensive and so expansive that it is difficult for us to comprehend it because Jesus tells us in one of the most profound verses in the whole Bible, in verse 26, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father will honor him. Amen. Amen what we're looking for see this is a promise it's a promise that the father will act the promise is that honor will be bestowed upon you now what could it mean to be honored by God well it would certainly mean being blessed blessed of the Father, the Father's hand of blessing upon you, it certainly means then being given this expansive esteem, attention and care. That the Father is giving you this this attention and care because He's honoring you. If He was dishonoring you, He wouldn't care about you. But He's honoring you. It would be given even, we think, in any monarchical situation. He would be given riches and supplies and resources. Of course, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that all spiritual resources in heavenly places are ours in Christ. The whole storehouse is ours in Him. The Father blesses us in that way. And then so, all of this surpasses the losses of the suffering servant. It surpasses them. All of this surpasses the expansions that get cut short. Your expansions and my expansions. And what is amazing is that the Father honors those who serve Jesus in this life and in the life to come. So the Father honors the faithful Christian believer with his own son's dignity and acclaim. He honors them even if their natural expansions dry up, even if they collapse, even if they falter, even if they die. He honors them how? If you've been here for the last few Sundays, we've been going through all of these. He honors them by giving these folks who believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, He gives them fruitful lives. Fruitful lives. The fruits of the Spirit being fruitful branches, being those who bear fruit that indicates distinctly that they belong to Jesus Christ. He gives all of that to you. So the Christian then lives a life carrying out this dominion mandate, this cultural mandate in a very natural way, So yes, we do that. We get married, we we have children, we build businesses, we vote, we do all kinds of wonderful things where we expand our influence with good works to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ having affected us. We do all of those natural things. But the supernatural expansion is now, at this point, way more important. It is this expansion with Jesus which Jesus calls us to. It is so important that Jesus demands that we be willing to let go of all of the natural expansion, to let it collapse in favor of gaining this spiritual expansion. That's what it's about. And Paul put it so well, and maybe some of you are already thinking of this verse in Philippians chapter three verses 7 to 8, That's Paul's commentary on John 12. So, from this point, you you can seek to be expanding in every way, and you ought to be. But you must be expanding in this supernatural way most of all. Now, to be clear, this supernatural blessing... Is not here to expand your earthly possessions. Okay? That's the curse of the prosperity gospel. That's the curse of the teachers on TV. It's a reversal of the fruit that Jesus promised. It's a damning doctrine, and, and I mean, it's subtly what all of our flesh desires. We think, oh, I came to church. So therefore, I'm going to have a successful week in business, in my marriage, in my bank account. Well, no, that is not the supernatural expansion. It is not then to create the blessing in the natural. But the supernatural expansion is what Jesus spoke of when he said, John, in John 14 and verse 12, he said, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Was he saying, we're going to do better miracles than Jesus? No, no. He's saying we're going to do more. And so, in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, we continue to speak to, G- to people that Jesus didn't speak to in his earthly ministry. The works are expanding even into this frozen wasteland of Canada. Who would have thought? It was Apostle Paul and his missionary team who would go to Greece and to Rome. These are the greater works. More converts across the globe. More than Jesus could do within his human limitations of time and space, according to the human nature. Now, just before we close, I just want to make just a few applications then of this to different groups here that are here this morning. So first off, I want to just speak to the single men here. I think you're going to get in trouble here, but the single men. You should be making yourself marryable. okay? That means ready to be married. You should be doing that. That's a natural expansion. But through that, you're also having the chance then to partner with a wife to share the gospel with others together. What could be better? If the Lord permits, you get then to have children to whom you can share the gospel. The natural expansion then can be a platform for the supernatural expansion. What about single women? Well you need to make yourselves marryable too, and for the same reasons that I just outlined. But if you don't get married, you've got the opportunity to be a spiritual mother in the church, or a single man can be a spiritual father in the church. You can undertake that, which is the duty to serve Jesus in the family of God, whether you're married or not. What about couples? There's lots of married couples here thinking about these issues. The dominion mandate, the cultural mandate, it applies still. It's good to make money, to buy, to build, to grow. It's good to do all that. But in the new covenant, all of that natural expansion is subservient to supernatural expansion. So if you build a business but betray Jesus, what does it profit? Too many Christians, they're building the business and then they're forgetting Jesus. No, you can't forget Jesus. Jesus has to be the focus. If your kids are pretty and successful, but you neglected to show them Christ's love in the gospel, you've missed the most important part. If you've got a house and a career, but you neglect your marriage, then your testimony to the gospel suffers and then it's kind of like another country song. It's like George and Tammy sang. Now we live in a two-story house, but there's no love about. Is that you? Is that what you're on? Of course, you've got to end up selling the house when you get divorced anyways. Right? For everybody here, there is a tension right now in the churches. There's a tension. We are seeing how the natural expansion has been misunderstood, that God has called all people to. It's been misunderstood in this culture. And churchgoers, I believe, have accepted the false secular notion that all we must do, we must all contract, not expand. We've got to reduce our footprint. We've got to stay quiet. We've got to pull back. We also think that we have to feel perpetual, unatonable guilt. Contract and even subtract ourselves. Maybe the churches should just close down. No, we must not. Instead, all of us must use the agency that God has given us to grow and to create and to expand and develop and build and plant and to invest and explore. But however, as we do that, We've got to be ready to let it all collapse and die. That it can all collapse and die so that we can bear more fruit supernaturally. So maybe some of your dreams need to die so that the greater dream of knowing Christ and being fruitful in Him, that that can flourish. Paul said, At the end of Philippians, he said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, how to be abased, and how to abound. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not the logo or the slogan for a Tim Tebow. It is the idea that you are strengthened through the loss of your natural expansions or their increase, but it's not health and wealth. It's saying that the supernatural expansion is more important than the natural ones. So serving Jesus then, and this is the hope for all of you, serving Jesus promises that you will be honored by the Father above all. I was reminded just to finish. John Piper has this this phrase. He speaks of the transforming power of living by faith in future grace. Will imagine, if you serve Jesus above all, you might lose everything, natural, yeah, but the Father will honor you. And if the Father honors you, can you think of any better future grace than that? The Father is going to honor me. And then can you trust that His honor is better than anything else you could acquire? This is the new covenant way that we are called to be fruitful and multiply. This is supernatural expansion and that is the reason that Jesus commissioned all of us. In Matthew 28, and verse 18, Jesus said, He came and He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age today we obey the command to expand but primarily and above all is this supernatural expansion and as we conclude our service as we switch over and are going to celebrate baptisms we're celebrating supernatural expansion in the lives of of these four folks as they get baptized. That's what we're celebrating today, this supernatural expansion, even giving up our very lives. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I pray that you would grant us great grace to turn our cold hearts and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved. We thank you for these candidates for baptism. We pray that many others would be challenged and inspired by their example and that they would stop trusting only in their natural expansions and in turn see the hope of being honored by you heavenly father oh lord make it so in our midst we pray in jesus name amen i invite you to stand as we sing please rise So at this time, we're going to just momentarily adjourn to the courtyard. And there it will be probably five, ten minutes. Uh, we're just The baptismal candidates are just going to get changed. I'm going to get changed. And then we will meet you in the courtyard where the baptismal tank is. And we'll have the baptisms there. And we'll conclude the service outside. So you're now dismissed to go outside.